Have you ever been in one of those strategy meetings and people are throwing around those financial terms and talking about revenue and profits and net income and you don't really want to say anything, but you don't quite have a grasp on some of the more advanced financial terminology. In today's episode, how you can improve your own financial intelligence to lead more effectively. This is Coaching for Leaders, episode 244. Produced by Innovate Learning, maximizing human potential. Greetings to you from Orange County, California. This is Coaching for Leaders, and I'm your host, Dave Stahoviak. Leaders aren't born, they're made. And this weekly show will give you access to the best thinkers, resources, and actions that will help you to develop your leadership skills. I'm really glad you tuned in today because speaking of not being born with these skills and these skills needing to be things that we learn, one of the key competencies that leaders need to at least have a fundamental understanding of is the financials, the numbers, the money, the things that drive many of our organizations, whether we work in a for-profit or a non-for-profit or even in a, in a setting that is, is considered maybe volunteer work, but the financials, the underlying dollars and cents really do move the decisions we make and affect so much about organizations and how we interact with others. And that's why an essential understanding of that is so critical. It's not something that most of us get in school, even those of us who have had training in business. And that's why I'm really glad to be welcoming Joe Knight to the show today. Joe is a highly regarded finance and business literacy keynote speaker. He's a trainer and a published author. And the reason he got on my radar screen is he's the co-author of the book Financial Intelligence, and it's also a series published by Harvard Business Review. It is the most popular book in the series Financial Intelligence, and the reason that it got on my radar screen initially is several years back, I saw that it was listed as one of the 100 best business books of all time. Joe, welcome to Coaching for Leaders. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be on. Well, and when you and I were talking before the interview today, you mentioned that there's an interesting story about that that list, the 100 best business books of all time, which is a great list, by the way. I'll link to it in the show notes, and, and how financial intelligence got involved with that. Sure. Yeah, I'm happy to tell you the story. That list and that book was published by a, a couple of very successful business booksellers at an organization called 1-800-CEO-READ. And to celebrate their 20th anniversary in 2009, they decided to publish this book. After 20 years of selling business books online, mainly to large corporations, they decided they were authorities on uh, how to pick the best 100 business books. We got a press release, a pre-press release, telling us that we had been selected on that list and learned more about the book. And then right after that, we, we were invited to come to Harvard. They were kicking off the book at a Harvard Business School evening symposium. And one of the main items in the symposium was to bring together all the authors that were alive and available on their list to present their books and talk about their book. And as I showed up, there were several other authors there. My recollection was there was about 12 to 15 authors. So as they were seating us at the panel, I looked across and I saw a senior Harvard professor named Robert Kaplan. I didn't know Robert Kaplan personally, but I knew his, his works. And his book that was selected on the list was The Balanced Scorecard. Oh, and it turns yes. out that his book and mine were two of the only 
finance books on the whole list. So the moderator of, of the, the session, who was one of the authors of the Best 100 Books, said, you guys are the two boring finance guys. Go to the end of the panel because we don't have all this new cool stuff like, like, for example, a Clayton Christensen in The Innovator's Dilemma and others that were there for the panel. And so the panel goes on and we get to the end of the panel. And the moderator, again, this author, he talks about each author's book and why he selected it for his list. And in most cases, he talked about these great, really exciting new technologies or ideas that came out of the book, new concepts. And then he got to me and he said, I selected Joe Knight's book, Financial Intelligence, because I could read the book and learn how to understand the income statement, the balance sheet, and cash flow mm. without ever once having to see the word credit or debit. And I really like that. Yeah. Oh, that's, and then he, that's awesome. And then he went on to Bob Kaplan and talked about his book. And so then as people are coming down to get their book signed and, and we're going through the signing process, Robert Kaplan, who, by the way, was 70 at the time we did this session, had been at Harvard for about 40 years as a managerial accounting professor, world-renowned. So we're talking back and forth. And as we're talking, he goes, what do you mean no credits or debits are in your book? And I said, well, you know, it's a simple book on how to read the financial statements. And he said, well, Joe, you know, as a financial professional, that if you don't understand the credits and the debits and how the income statement, the balance sheet, and the statement of cash will interact with one another, you'll never be able to understand finance at a very serious level. And I said, I'm not so sure, Bob, if you read my book. And then Bob said, I don't want to read your book. So there's a little bit of an offense. He's a little offended that I wrote the <laughs> simplistic book about his profession. <laughs> yeah. And so uh, before we could break up, people came down to talk to us. And Bob and I were talking and we, we had to sign books and we were caught. So I said, Bob, give me your card. I come to Boston quite a bit for my speaking and training. And let's get together. Six or seven months later, we were able to connect. And I came out to see him. And I thought a lot about that exchange. And as I sat down with Bob, I said, you know, Bob, you write books for Harvard MBAs. You write textbooks. You've written many books that have been very successful. And you teach finance over a semester to Harvard MBAs. And the people you train are going to become leaders on Wall Street or CFOs of large public companies. I learned how to teach finance when I started my own manu manufacturing company with two engineers. And they told me, we've got 20 guys in this company. You're our partner you've got one hour to teach them what an income statement is. Hmm. And that's what I did. And then we started sharing the numbers. And so I said, Bob, what I learned over the years, and this is very important for your listeners to understand, is that if people can understand when they look at financial statements, what's important and why it's important, what and why, they can become very sound and vicious financial analysts. I told Bob that. And I said, Bob, but I'm not trying to create a, a, a Wall Street analyst. I'm not trying to create a CFO of a large public company. But I do want my managers in my business to be able to look at the statements and say, this is a good company or a bad company, and here's why. And that's what this book is about. And you know, after we finished our discussion, it was kind of funny. Bob Kaplan, this, this Robert Kaplan, this, this uh, Harvard professor, said, you know, now that I, I understand what your book is about, I'm glad you gave me a copy. And as he was taking the book, I, as I got up to leave, he goes, you know, my wife and several of the other spouses of Harvard MBA professors started an investment club about a year ago. And several months ago, my wife came to me and asked, you know, I, I, I'd love to understand finance at a higher level. And here you are, a finance professor at Harvard, and I don't understand finance. And he said, so I gave her one of my textbooks. And she came back a week later and said, that was the most incomprehensible book I've ever read. <laughs> And then he told, he told me, he said, maybe your book would be better for my wife. And we shook hands and left. But I, I hope that gives you some context, Dave, on what my book is about. I'm not trying to create Harvard MBAs. I'm not trying to create CFOs. 
what I'm trying to create with my book and with my training is people who can move up the, the corporate ladder and be able to di- converse and talk about all three of the financial statements and do a little analysis. That's fabulous because, and it, and it gets right to the heart of our conversation because when I think back just to my own experience, my undergraduate degrees in business, and so I took way more business classes than the average person who's in business. And at the same time, I think back to like my corporate finance class, I think I got a C minus in that class. and was one of the classes I struggled with the most. It was completely incomprehensible to me. And when I first showed up for my first job and read P&Ls, even though I'd had four years of business classes, I, I, st- I got to admit, the first time I looked at those, I still found it really to be a struggle. And I, I think for a lot of people, that's true, is you see those numbers, you see the financial reports for your organization, and, and it, it looks really daunting. And I think it gets to the essence of like why people are so scared of this. I know I was. Is the, do you find that that's a pretty common reaction from a lot of business people? I can't tell you how many times I've heard. And, and you know, Dave, you're talking about coming right out of school and encountering the statements. And you took the final on that class and tried to forget everything after you got it and survived it. But, but I get people who say, you know, I wasn't in business school. Uh, it's been 10 years. It's been 15 years. And I remember some of those terms you just said, but I, have, I, I haven't looked at finance or studied finance for years because I'm in my discipline. I'm in engineering or, or elsewhere, yeah. but I'm moving up the corporate ladder and people are putting income statements in front of me and these other statements. And I'm thinking, this has been 15 years. I hear that everywhere I go, mm. constantly hear that because you just don't retain it unless you, you come back to it and you're involved with it. And for most of us, we have this career where we get into a certain discipline, and then once we get to a certain level as, a, and as executive in, in the executive suite in our, in our businesses, we don't have a good sound understanding of finance. Yeah, and you know, that's, it's, so, it's so critical, though, yet to how organizations work. And I think about the people that I know who have a, at least a, a fundamental understanding of the financials and the data. And, and the many people who don't, and when I look at our clients and even colleagues and people I've worked with over the years, the people who have at least a fundamental understanding and understand not only the numbers themselves, but the, the big picture behind the numbers, it is really amazing how that drives their credibility in conversations, their careers in many cases. Um, how do you see that playing out with, with the people who get a, at least a fundamental understanding of this? Well, I, I, to be honest with you, Dave, and it's surprising to a lot of people, those who have a fundamental understanding have an advantage in the workplace and, those, and, and, and who can use and understand and read the statements. And I, I promise that those who do understand are in the vast minority of those who are moving up in a corporate environment. Let me tell you, uh, for, the, for the many years I've been training, we would constantly get people who would get, get our book, Financial Intelligence, which became a bestseller for Harvard Business Review Press, and they would contact my partner, Karen Berman, who really ran the business for many years. And Karen would say, hey, we'd love to come in and train you. you know, and they'd say, we read your book. And, and they're starting to talk. And, and the executive would always say, especially if they came from the CFO's office, they'd say, well, your book is too simple. We'd like to do a higher level finance class because our execs are all at a higher level financially. Right. And Karen and I would always have a discussion offline. And she'd say, what do you think? You're out there training and talking to these people. And I'd say, absolutely not. They, they don't. And we'd have this argument with the, the leadership that we don't do. I would never do an advanced class until I've done the basics. We got so tired of hearing that, Dave, that uh, several years ago, we, we decided to develop a true-false multiple-choice basic financial test, an assessment, if you will. And Karen has a PhD in educational psychology, so she took it back to her university, and they did a national study on this 
25 question test and the average score in the United States for an executive in a, in a company with at least 100 employees was 38%. Oh, wow. And so now it gets a little easier, Dave. When we get that question and it happens often in our business, we say, great, let's have your group take the test. Mm, and the highest smart. scores I've seen in some of the large public companies I work with, for example, GE has been a client for years. Their top-level leadership groups that I train will get in the high 50s. Most groups score about 40%. Wow. And it's always shocking to the, to the executives and the finance team, you know, that you mean these people? And then, and then the, you know, often when we do the assessment, the CFO or the executives will say, let me see the test. It must have been too hard. And we send them a copy of the test and they come back and say, this is, a, this is the test that they got 40% on? And so we always start with a basic state when we train, without exception. And I've done this, I can't even tell you how many times we've been through this process. And, and by the way, the, the, res, the, the results for the test were published in a Harvard Business Review article in October of 2009. And we still use that test today. And, and so we do an assessment, Dave. And, and, and w- what we find is people just don't understand. And what happens is, you know, if you're a talented executive, if you're, if you're moving up through your company, you're smart enough to fake it. You know how to nod your head and all those kinds of things. But when, when it really comes down to having a fundamental understanding, most people don't have it. Mm, wow. It's, it, but it's fascinating. And especially the data you've collected around it. And, and of course, this begs the question of what are, uh, I'm wondering if you could share with us, what are some of the least understood topics and maybe even things people think they know, but when it comes to finance and numbers that they just are the things that are commonly missed on that assessment or just common knowledge that isn't there? It's a good question. If there's any statement that's best understood, it's the income statement, the P&L, if you will. However, there are terms and on the profit, P&L that are Profit and loss is the... So when you say P&L, profit and loss statement profit is Profit and loss statement. You know, one of the things we do in finance, Dave, is we use many names for the same thing. So we call it a profit and loss statement, a P&L. It's also called an income statement. Many large corporations are now calling it a statement of operations or an earning statement. They all mean the same thing. It's a simple statement that's, that tells you if you're making a profit. And so it, it, if we start with that statement, Dave, there's a term that's very important that comes off the income statement. It's called EBITDA. If you are buying and selling a business, if you're going through a valuation process, EBITDA is a key number. Most people, the vast majority of people I train don't know They've heard the number they've heard, or the ratio. It's just an acronym, actually. They've heard the, the number or the number associated with EBITDA, and they've, they talk about it in meetings, but they don't have any idea why it's so important and why it's used when you make a business valuation, why it's used to figure out if you're going to have cash flow in the future and why banks focus on it. They just know, oh, this number EBITDA is really important. And so one of the things I, I do in my training and in the book is I help people break down EBITDA, understand what it is and why it's so important so they can put context to it and they understand it. One of the other least understood things in finance is cash flow. And one of the things that's happened is since the financial fraud and the dot-com bubble and all the things that happened there with Enron and WorldCom and, and Tyco and all these, these big companies with malfeasance in their financials, is, is there's been a shift on Wall Street and there's been a shift with many others to cash flow. Instead of looking at profit on the income statement and key numbers there, they want to understand the cash that a, ge- a company generates. Now, it makes sense if you step back and think about it because if you're generating cash, that's a concrete asset that you can't commit fraud on. If I say I have a billion dollars on my balance sheet, if you will, we can audit that very quickly, whereas profit is a theoretical number based mm. on estimates and assumptions. 
And so everybody's shifting to cash flow in terms of financial analysis and in terms of understanding whether a company is going to be a strong company. And when they look at stock prices and banking and all that kind of stuff, but there's a big disconnect with management because profit on the income statement is not the same as cash flow. In oh, fact, they can be very different. Interesting. So that's that's news to me because I don't think I appreciate that distinction. So and profit is the term we've historically all learned about and understood. So so what is the the distinction? What would be an example of something that would be profit versus something that would be cash flow? It's really a, a very simple concept, Dave. On the income statement, when we record a sale for any company of any size, we use a term accrual. We accrue for that sale. What that means is we count the revenue on our income statement when we have completed the transaction. Got it. So for example, if I ship a product to a customer, let's call it Walmart, once I ship the product and they have taken title for that product and I can reasonably expect to be paid by that customer, I count that as revenue. So I could have a million dollars of revenue at the top of my income statement, but I have not collected a penny because it turns out Walmart's going to pay me in 70 days typically. Oh, okay. Got it. It yeah, doesn't necessarily mean that the money is there in the account yet. It just means that the transactions happened and it's, a, um, it's an accounts receivable, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so on the other side of the coin, if I have expenses, for example, let's say that I used a truck to deliver that product. The cost of that truck isn't showing up on the income statement immediately. It's just a line item called depreciation. And it might be a fraction of what I spent on that truck when I bought it for my business. So I might've spent all my cash to buy that truck but on the income statement, I just charged $100 this month for that or $1,000. And so I show a lot of profit. So you have situations where you're counting revenue and your expenses like depreciation on a truck and other expenses where you're accruing the expenses before you've paid them or you've paid them in advance and you're counting revenue before you've collected it. And so when you add all that up, when you get to the bottom and see profit for a business, that often doesn't correlate with your cash flow. Got it. Got it. And so the trend now is that Wall Street and banks are starting to say, hey, you know, okay, that might be interesting information to have, and that's a data point, but they're really looking at the actual cash flow coming in and out of the organization. Exactly right. They want to understand, um, well, well, they want to understand if you have actual cash. And one of the things they do now is they, they compare a key number related to profit like EBITDA to your cash flow, which is on a separate statement showing how cash flowed in and out of your business. And they want to make sure that your profit is converting to cash on some reasonable level. Because one of the problems with fraud is you have these companies that were reporting profit, but it wasn't real profit like with Enron. And so it was never converting to real cash. The, a lot of this started, the, the origins of this started during the dot-com bubble when everyone was so focused on if you're profitable, you're ready to go public as a dot-com. Well, that, you know, this, uh, this investor that you might have heard of, Dave, named Warren Buffett always said, you know what? I like Burger King Whoppers. That's all I care about. And everybody said, well, these companies are profitable now and you're going to be getting Whoppers soon. And he said, no, no, that's theoretical Whoppers. As soon as that company generates real cash on the cash flow statement, I can take that cash and go buy a Whopper. Mm. And everybody said, you know, Mr. Buffett, you're a dinosaur. You miss the point of these new metrics like EBITDA and profit and the things on the income statement. Well, you fast forward to the financial crisis that we just went through. And you also go back further to the financial fraud, and Wall Street started to say, you know, Buffett makes a lot of sense. If we focus on cash flow, we won't be duped by estimates and assumptions that go in an income statement, one. And two, during the financial crisis of 08, 09, 10, and 11, those four years, banks weren't loaning any money. So guess who could survive? The companies that generated their own cash. 
So Wall Street and other investors and banks have shifted to looking at cash flow as a concrete, tangible number and also as a number that they can get their hands around in terms of being able to finance and grow the business rather than just looking at profit and saying, oh, this company's profitable. It's a, it's a good company. So the message here is even if your organization does it, you know, looks at the the income statement and focuses on profit, if you're talking to an investor or other stakeholders, being able to speak that language and know what those numbers are and know what the cash flow looks like, that's that's critical. It's it's critical, yes. And and at some point in your career as you move up that ladder, you're going to have to be conversant around cash flow because that is where the capital markets are heading. That's where people really want to know how you're doing. And also, it's always important not to lose sight of the fact that cash flow eliminates or almost eliminates the possibility of fraudulent financial reporting because if you have cash, that's a tangible asset that's easy to validate yeah. and check. Yeah, Profit is somewhat theoretical because you're counting revenue before you've collected it. You're counting expenses that you may or may not have paid yet. So tell me more about EBITDA because I, 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 I'm hearing from you that that's a really key concept and I know it's probably uh, more than we can explain here, but w- what are some of the key indicators that, that fit into that number that, that as a leader you'd want to be at least knowledgeable about or understand where to, where to find that information? Sure, sure. I can talk about that. And, and just, to, just to add some color to that, Dave, I have done a series with Harvard at, H, uh, at hbr.org where, we, where I have done what, what they call toolkits. And toolkits are little downloadable products that you can download that give you spreadsheets and information on how to do different things. And one of them is on EBITDA and how to understand and work with EBITDA. I'm currently finishing one up on business valuation, which all comes comes back to EBITDA. But back to the point, Dave, EBITDA is an acronym. It stands for Earnings Before Interest Taxes, Depreciation, and Amortization. Operating income is a very important number on any income statement, and it's also known as EBIT. EBIT stands for earnings before interest and taxes. And what that says is how much money did the business make before it paid for interest and taxes? Most of the managers that are listening to this podcast don't deal with interest and taxes. That usually taxes are determined by your tax department. Interest is determined by your financing strategies. But everything above that, the revenue and the expenses, is managed by the operation. So EBIT is a critical number. And and that's usually where bonuses are tied and, and everything else is tied. But there's an expense inside of your operating expenses that is not a tangible dollar cash-out expense and never will be. And that expense is called depreciation and amortization. Depreciation and amortization is is expenses we pay for assets like a truck or a building that we've already purchased. So a lot of analysts like to say, let's take the depreciation and amortization out of our operating income or EBIT so we can get a good feel for what potential future cash flow that company will generate. And so during the dot-com bubble, everybody said, if you have positive EBITDA, that means it's just a matter of time before your cash flow becomes positive. And so everybody on Wall Street and, and all of the, the private equity people, everybody said, if you can get EBITDA positive, you're ready to go public, you're ready to, to be funded because eventually you're going to be cash positive. And that's really, that's really how EBITDA started to become such a critical number. Consequently, Dave, most value, one of the most common valuation models today is EBITDA multiples. If you're in a small business, the way we're going to value your business is we're going to check your EBITDA and make sure it's a valid number. And if it's a million dollars and you're in an industry that trades at eight times EBITDA, chances are that company is going to sell for $8 million or so. And that's the most common valuation. So EBITDA is still a critical number. And uh, however, cash flow has kind of trumped that with a lot of people because 
EBITDA is not real cash. It's theoretical whoppers, as, as Buffett said. Yeah. It's, a, it's an indication of cash. But the real cash can be found and measured on the cash flow statement. So depending on the reason you're looking at the numbers, whether it's an outside stakeholder where you may look more at cash flow, but if you're trying to value, value your own business, for example, your business owner or part of the executive team, EBITDA might be, it might be the place you start as far as thinking through the valuation and the, the, the worth of the business in the marketplace. That is absolutely true. That is the place you start. Furthermore, a lot of banks still use EBITDA and as a critical metric for credit lines and for financing. So that's another place where EBITDA comes into play. The big change now is if you have EBITDA, a lot of analysts are going to look at your cash flow and make sure that EBITDA is converting to cash at some normal level. So for example, if you have a million dollars of EBITDA this year, your cash flow should show maybe a 900 or 700 thousand or some number approaching that. If it's not converting at all, then there might be something wrong with your reporting. So it's kind of a check digit now. But, but EBIT is still out there, Dave, is an important number. However, cash flow is also being very closely evaluated and looked at, maybe even more so than EBITDA with many investors and analysts today. Joe, you've been doing this for a while. You've trained a ton of people in this methodology and getting them solid on the fundamentals. When you see leaders and organizations who latch onto this, and, and like you said, you're not, they're not becoming corporate finance experts, but, but they're getting the, the fundamentals down. What changes for people as far as how they communicate, their influence in the organization? What do you see happen? That's a really interesting question. My partner, Karen Berman, who I started this business with, and by the way, just, just to get this out of the way, Dave, Karen unfortunately passed away about two and a half years ago. Oh, I'm sorry um, to hear that. And very, very untimely at a very young age. But Karen got her PhD in educational psychology, and her doctoral thesis was based on research that when management and employees in a business understand the financials in that business and are given them on a, on a routine basis, at least monthly, those businesses tend to perform better in terms of profit, cash flow, and revenue. And, and what we believe at the Business Literacy Institute and what Karen always believed is that as you make your people financially literate and then start sharing financial information with them and sharing some of your financial success, they drive your numbers. One of the things I've learned as a financial leader, as a CFO in my own manufacturing company for many years and, and working as a financial leader in, in a lot of organizations, is I would rather teach my operations people how to read the financial statements and have them teach me how to run the operation. Mm. It's much easier. And, and one of the things that, that we don't talk about in finance and accounting, that's, this is a, this is a, a, a secret for, for you, Dave, and your, pod, your podcast listeners, is finance and accounting is very simple. What we do is we add and subtract numbers, and occasionally when we get sophisticated, we divide. The math is all very simple. The way we confuse you all is we use acronyms and terms and many all kinds of jargon, and it, it, it clouds it and makes it seem very difficult. When I train engineers, they always say, Joe, is that all you guys do? And I go, yeah, we don't, the math is all very simple here. So the, it's kind of like you need your own little decoder ring so you can decode what we do. But once you have that, and you understand how to look at the statements, you can help drive success in your organization. And that's, that's really what we do at the Business Literacy Institute. That's what I'm passionate about, is getting financial knowledge into the base of a company so that they can drive success and profitability. And that's certainly what Karen focused on right out of college after her PhD. Well, that's just a, a perfect analogy for the book, because as I've seen your book mentioned many times online over the years and read some of the reviews, thinking about our conversation today, 
you know, thinking about it as a decoder ring is is great. It's 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 the book for the rest of us who need to, you know, many of us are are smart people. We understand uh, the philosophy behind this, but we don't necessarily understand all the terminology. And so, uh, the book is a great starting point for that. And I I strongly recommend it as a as a good place for folks to start. And there's a whole series of books, by the way, that, that Joe and his organization have out there. But financial intelligence is the place to start. It's the one that was listed on the 100 best business books of all time. And Joe, I was wondering if you could also share with us, for those who want to get in the book, that's a great starting point. I know you have some resources on your website as well too. For those who really do want to get into this more and 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 maybe really uh, drive their knowledge or drive the, the knowledge of their organization, what are some good ways for folks to do that? Well, the, the best place to go for my organization is at our website, business-literacy.com. First thing that, that a lot of people like the site for is it has a glossary. It's free. You get online. If you want to look up terms, you were in a meeting, you heard a bunch of terms you didn't understand, go to our glossary and look up those terms and get a definition. Second, we have the test available. So if you wanted to take the assessment or use the test assessment, it's a pretty reasonable price. We can ha- have your group take the test and we have the resources for that to make contact there. And then a third resource we have online is an online training course that you can download right on your hard drive. So, for example, you get in a meeting and somebody starts going on about EBITDA, you can, you can pick right out of the online training module that you have on your computer. My training, about a 15-minute training at most, 10 to 15 minutes on what EBITDA is, how it's used, and why it's important. And also with some questions to, to, to drive that through. And so you have a complete little, little um, online, training, uh, online training modules that take you through all the statements and help you understand that. That's also available. So there's resources available so you can bone up and get finance at the level you need to be an executive. And Dave, one of the things you said that's very important is, is and I kind of said it in, implied at the very beginning of our discussion, is we're not trying to create these, these high-level financial people. What we're trying to do is decode it for the rest of us. That's yeah. what our book's designed for. It's not, it, it, if you want to understand finance at a simple level and you have a four-hour plane flight across the country, this is the book for you. If you want to really get deep into finance, get one of Robert Kaplan or someone else's textbook and start there. But for many people, in fact, most people, they don't want to get to that level. They want to get what to look for in the statements and why they're important. And that's what we're about at the Business Literacy Institute. So once again, the website is business-literacy.com and all those resources are available there, Dave. Joe and I will link up afterwards, get all the links that he's mentioned, make sure we get them into the show notes so folks can get that. Joe, I just really appreciate what you and your organization have done and and Karen's work and her legacy around this. Um, You've really made a topic that I think scares a lot of us or we think we know what we know. And like you said, with the assessment, I mean, it's just... It's surprising how much we really don't know about some of the fundamentals here, many of us. And so I just appreciate all the work you've done around this. And I hope folks will check out the book and the resources you've put online. Um, if they're finding, like like I am, that we're not as equipped as we'd like to be around this. And I just really appreciate you taking the time to do that for us. Great. I'm glad to do it, Dave. Joe Knight is the author of Financial Intelligence, and we'll have all the links on the show notes listed here as well. I was intrigued by this financial intelligence assessment that Joe talked about that they've put together. And so we were talking after recording this interview, and he was very gracious to give me access to take the assessment for myself. And so I went through uh, the assessment. I think it took about 10 or 15 minutes or so. And uh, when I scored it at the end, I got 76%, which in the context of this interview might sound like a pretty good number. 
Uh, however, I did it after the interview with Joe. Uh, I went back and looked at the questions that I answered and how I answered them, and I figured out that if I had done the assessment before this conversation, I probably would have gotten in the low to mid-60s, which, considering the fact that I have a business degree, is not really very impressive. Uh, so I, if you're like me and some of these terms and some of the things that Joe talked about in this interview... Uh, are a little bit nebulous or maybe things that you kind of know, but uh, not really as strong as you'd like to have down, I'd really encourage you to check out uh, the uh, website and to check out the book, Financial Intelligence. And I think you'll find that it's a really good way to get up to speed on the things you need to know uh, to be helpful in influencing conversation and to be knowledgeable about the conversations that are happening in your organization from a financial standpoint. If you know what's going on financially and have the language and the tools to use it, you can lead more effectively and you can influence more effectively with that information. So I certainly would encourage you to reach out. And thanks again to Joe for taking the time to be on the show today. Hey, maybe you have a comment or question about our conversation. Go ahead and go over to coachingforleaders.com slash 244. That will get you onto the show notes and all of the links that Joe mentioned. He mentioned a whole bunch of things. The links are all up there. And of course, if you receive the weekly leadership guide on Wednesdays, you'll get all those in your inbox on Wednesday. If you're not already subscribed to the weekly leadership guide, please do join at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. You will get it then delivered to your inbox on Wednesdays. It includes the show notes for every episode and a link back to everything we talk about in each show. It also includes the resources, articles, other podcasts, videos, things that I have tracked down during the week that I know will be helpful to you in your ongoing leadership development between the shows. And as a bonus, you'll also get access to my reader's guide that lists the 10 leadership books that will help you get better results from others. And it also has brief summaries from me on the value of each one of those books. And speaking of which, a few of those books came from the list of the 100 best business books of all time. That's how I first tracked down the resource from Joe on financial intelligence. And so uh, it's a great resource as well. I'll put that link in the show notes for those who are looking for great books. But start with the first 10. That'll get you started on your leadership development journey. And if you're looking for a place to begin, reading any one of those books will be a great starting point. Again, you can get access to all of that at coachingforleaders.com slash subscribe. Have a fabulous week and I look forward to seeing you again next Monday. Take care.